Hi, it's me, Maria. The episode you're about to hear with my guest, Charlotte Clymer, was recorded several days before Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. She is, was, continues to be my hero. She fundamentally changed relationships. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a leading force in creating change that made women more equal to men in their homes and in the workplace. Imagine getting paid and not being able to put your money in a checking account without a male cosigner, or using that money to buy a home and get a mortgage without a male cosigner. Imagine wanting to start a business and being unable to get a loan, or if you're a female, having a job, getting pregnant, and hiding it until the very end just so you wouldn't get fired. Goodbye, bump photos on social media. (laughs) Imagine wanting birth control, but it's only available to you if you're married and your husband is the only one that can give permission. Imagine dying, and now your male spouse and children do not have access to your pension because the male is the breadwinner of the home, or he's supposed to be. No, you can't imagine. We take these rights for granted in 2020, but someone had to fight for them, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg was the leading force. She changed relationships. She made women, even in theory because we still have a lot of work to do, equal to their male counterparts. Her rest is earned. May her memory be a blessing. And here's this week's podcast. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I bring a guest on to talk about dating and relationships while answering your questions. You can ask a 60-second audio question by visiting askamatchmaker.com. It literally takes one minute. Before I introduce my guests, I just want to thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. And of course, to my OG fans for sending in your dating and relationship questions via Instagram every Wednesday. Thank you for telling your friends and please keep telling them. Next time someone starts rambling away about a dating or relationship dilemma, you tell them about this podcast. Just send them a link and be like, I don't want to hear your problems. Just listen to Maria. Hashtag listen to Maria. Let's get started. So my next guest is someone I truly admire, and I'm so, so, so excited to introduce Charlotte Clymer. Charlotte Clymer is a writer and LGBTQ advocate. She recently finished a tour as the press secretary for Rapid Response at the Human Rights Campaign, the nation's largest LGBTQ civil rights organization. Currently, she's working on her first book, soon to be announced. I wish I could announce it here, but that's okay. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Maria. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really great. I'm spending my Saturday morning with a legendary matchmaker. This is wonderful. (laughs) Thank you. You had a legendary week this week. I had a pretty damn good week, I have to admit. You got retweeted by Hillary Um, Clinton. Oh my goodness, great. Did you forget? Has it been that legendary that you forgot about that part of your week? (laughs) 
I, I think my brain is so overloaded with happiness from that. Maybe the serotonin has just uh, totally. completely overloaded the capacity for Absolutely. happiness there. So this week, you actually published an article. It was from a previous like Twitter thread about when you were a veteran. Mm-hmm. The Atlantic came out and reported that Donald Trump insulted uh, soldiers and service members who had died in World War One by saying they were you know losers and suckers. And then he mm-hmm. said that broadly about people who've died in war. And, uh, you know, this was confirmed by a number of other sources. I, mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's very devastating. And so I was really angry and I wrote a thread about my experiences in the 3rd U.S. Infantry Regiment, which is the Old Guard. It's a ceremonial unit that buries our fallen service members in Arlington National Cemetery. I wrote about my first helicopter ride to Dover Air Force Base, which is where incoming war casualties or war fatalities arrive when they come home to be received and taken to Arlington or wherever they're going to be buried in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And it's a very moving experience. It was quite formative for me. And so I just wrote about that and the fact that this is what Donald Trump is disrespecting with his comments. And that went super viral. I mean, everyone and their mother retweeted it. I, I think I got Mark Hamill, Dan Rather, you know, Hillary Clinton, of course, and then USA Today picked it up as a column, which was great. Right. Just in general, you, I feel like your Twitter threads always go viral. Um, I've been following you for years. And it's just so, you have such a, did you debate at all? Like, were you in debate team? Did you go to a school like that? No, I didn't. You I would didn't do debate. so and- good. I was in debating club in college. In fact, that's actually, I went to my undergrad in Europe at the American College of Greece, whoop, whoop. And it was for a debating scholarship. Like I got to travel all of Europe for four years debating, you know, at different invitationals. And I think that's what attracts me so much to your Twitter threads because you have a way of doing a both sides sort of thing. Like you don't play devil's advocate for the sake of it. You literally start rebutting the arguments you know are about to come. That's what a debater does. It's like, before you start with your points, excuse me, let me tell you like what my rebuttals are to whatever you're about to say. And it's, it's just genius. I think that's why Thank people you. love it. I think I'm kind of blushing right now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so how long were you in the military for? Six years. Wow. Uh, I was enlisted for three and a half years in the infantry. And then I went to West Point for a couple of years on an active duty contract. That was six years total um, in the service. You, what year did you leave? 2012. I was medically retired. Okay. I had some really bad health issues and the army's like, you're a good kid, but we, we can't have a sick officer. Go. So yeah. Right. And you've worked for the human rights campaign. Or I did. You, I, you yes. I worked there for two years and I, I left mm-hmm. at the end of March, right as the COVID stuff was ramping up. Mm-hmm. And that had been in the works for quite a while. Um, I had been fighting to leave for months because I wanted to do some other advocacy projects and, of course, write this book. And I love HRC, uh, but it was it was time to start the next chapter. And it just happened to coincide with, with the COVID stuff. What's your book about? Are we allowed to ask this or is it too soon? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to pitch it. I'm going to pitch it to publishers and, um, you know, fingers crossed, someone will buy it. It's going to be about the duality of living in two different Americas and finding myself as a trans woman in those two Americas. You know, I'm, mm. I'm a, I'm a liberal trans woman who, you know, uh, believes in black lives matter and, you know, uh, you know, Im- immigration reform and all the, all the liberal stuff. But I'm also a Christian military veteran from central Texas. 
Oh my goodness. You know, I love country yeah, the duality music. of it all. The duality of it all. And I don't fit neatly into anyone's box. And I think that pisses off certain people. I think it pisses off conservatives who don't think I'm a real Christian or get angry that I'm in the military or that I was in the military and I'm proud of my service. And it also makes, you know, some progressives angry because, you know, there are a few far left progressives who would love to paint everyone who doesn't agree with them as, you know, I suppose in the mainstream. And my point is that, look, I have very strong progressive values, but I think it's very important that we meet people where they are. Mm. And I don't think that should be controversial. And so that's what the book is about. I think that's such a great message. I'm I'm a very proud Democrat and um, I've never said that on the podcast before. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's not, if you, if you wander over my Twitter, it's not, it's not a secret. Um, but, uh, it's always interesting to like have a conversation with both sides. Like I've met, you know, I've met over 10,000 people for one-on-one interviews and, you know, some of my clients are Republican. Some of them are fiscally conservative and socially liberal or what we like to call Bloomberg Republicans in our office. And then there's other people that are, you know, really, really liberal, really progressive and, and, you know, good for them from both sides, I guess. Like if, if this is what will make you happy, um, I suppose I can be okay. It just depends on like what that means. And I sometimes feel like a conversation can get really derailed when we can, can focus on like the big picture. You know, I feel like I saw that a lot in like 2016, you know, someone would say like, it, it's like there's some, some, I'm trying to remember it was in um, Hillary Clinton's book, what happened. Let's just pretend it's, she said something like, Oh, you know, Hillary Clinton likes oranges. What do you mean? She doesn't like peaches? What about peaches? And what about bananas? Okay, she likes oranges. Like, chill out. And I feel like that's where it gets like frustrating. It's like, okay, like, let's focus on what we're talking about right now. The most minute um, details become flashpoints for controversy. And for both bookends, by the way. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you go on your Twitter, I noticed that you have this very whimsical photo of Princess Diana. Tell me why you chose that photo. I've always wondered. I just think Diana is this, oh my goodness. She's the woman I would want to be. Here's the miracle of Diana of Wells. She was a very strong progressive in her time. Mm-hmm. Um, she she was, you know, pro-LGBTQ. She brought um, awareness to the AIDS crisis, mm-hmm. uh, AIDS, AIDS, AIDS and HIV crisis. She uh, talked about landmines. She she eschewed elitism. Uh, you know, there's this famous photo of her walking among, um, and I, 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 I'm going to get this wrong, so I'm not even going to say the country, but it, it was in a country where there was, you know, something of a caste system. And I don't think it was India, but it was another country. And this woman bows before her to touch her feet and Diana comes and wants to pick her up because she doesn't want anyone bowing to her. And like, I, I, I know that it's such a simple thing, but the way that she humanized other people just by her presence and that the way right. she brought people up was She's amazing. The best of humanity. The best of humanity. But here, here's the miracle part, though. Everyone loved her. Democrats, Republicans. I mean, just across. Oh, the in America, spectrum. you mean? Uh, I, oh, oh, no, around the world. Everyone. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, in the UK, people who couldn't stand the monarchy loved Princess Diana. Her death right. was like this worldwide, you know, moment when, when, when it seemed like time stopped. Do you remember when she died? I do. 1997. I remember this because uh, I was 10 years old. I woke up once, I think it was a Sunday morning, if I'm not mistaken. And this really annoying kid was sleeping over at my house. We were not friends. <laughs> and uh, he wakes me up by saying, Oh my God, Diana died. It just, it was such the, it was the worst way ever to hear the news, you know, but 
I just remember watching the images for the next week or so and, and, and being really sad about it. 10 years old, by the way, like not. Yeah, I was, um, having... I think I was like 12 or 13. I was on a flight from Greece to the U.S., like from, you know, coming home from vacation from like grandma's house. Yeah, yeah's house. I remember like getting off the flight and that was what the news was on. Like, you know, the TVs through the customs. And I was like, yeah. yeah, kind of internalizing that. I remember thinking like, oh, Harry's my age. Like that sucks that he's like, I thought of her as a mom, not as a princess. Right. Um, right. And I think that's how just that's how my parents talked about people. They, you know, I don't know. And uh, it was just like, oh man, he lost his mom. I, like I was so focused on her kids than her. But that was, that was just me being, you know, 12, 13 years old and like looking at it from that prism, I suppose. But so you, that's you think, how you related the, to it. Right. And, but, you know, so the thing about this photo though, is that she kind of like, I've made my own story as to why you've chosen this photo. It's kind of like, you don't expect it, right? Like people tend to show their most narcissistic sides when you go on Twitter, right? Like even my banner is like my podcast banner and your banner is Princess Diana looking to like, you know, that kind of like up in the sky, not really paying attention to what's going on in front of her. And the way I've kind of seen that is like, oh, Charlotte is whimsical. Like Charlotte is looking at this from very, she's going away from her serotonin, you know, veteran roots and really going full onto the dopamine Princess Diana roots, like kind of putting a new, like a new identity here. And that's, so I was just like, I wonder if that's true, but I guess we all have a very different way of looking at these things, which is what I love. That's it. No, that really is it. I love how the picture can be interpreted. It's because, you know, she's placed between, Charles and Queen Elizabeth, right? Mm. So she was caught between, you know, that dynamic, of course. And then it's kind of looking like she's rolling her eyes a little bit. And it also looks mostly whimsical, though. Like mm-hmm. she she is above it in some way. She's above that fray just by the sheer force of her humanity. And she's like, I know that's reading crown. a lot into no, it. No, no, it's just, that's what it looks like. And, you know, it's probably just like one's like split second, like, you know, like photos that we don't even, you know, it wasn't, we're just kind of, we're putting our own perception on the photo. This is what, this is why I hate like about online dating photos too. It's a, you know, people will be app dating and it's like, here's this one photo I'm going to judge you on, but it's quite literally a split second of your life. It doesn't really tell you anything about the totality of that person. Are you dating someone? You know, given, given COVID, it's been pretty difficult. I haven't been on any dates this year, in fact. Okay. Um, here's what messed things up. I went on a couple dates last year. And then when this year started, it was the final stretch for my time at HRC. Mm-hmm. And so I was just focused on getting the job done, ensuring a smooth transition. I was in, you know, I'm in grad school and I was in grad school in the spring. So there was just too much going on to date. And I figured, oh, I'll date this summer when I, you know, leave HRC. And then COVID happens. And, the, and you're based the out of D.C., well, based out of DC, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, I guess I could try to set up a date, but I'm kind of worried about catching this virus, to be honest with you. And I'm, I'm playing yeah. it safe. Did you catch it? No, I have not yet. I've been very, yet. very I love lucky. how you put the I, word yet in there. I hope you don't get it. <laughs> me too. Me too. Well, and that's the thing. Like it could happen. And so I've been very, very careful. Uh, like the moment the shutdown happened, I went into full lockdown mode. I didn't leave my mm. apartment. I, the only time I left was to get groceries and, and that was it. So. Charlotte, I'm, I'm there with you. When, uh, when it happened, I was eight months pregnant. <laughs> oh my and- gosh. 
I know. And I, and I live with my, you know, my parents live with us. My, my mother's um, a little sick. And so it was just like my husband, who's a public health scientist. My husband was like, okay, this house is on lockdown. We have like a bleach water bucket outside. Anything coming in gets like doused in there. I wasn't allowed to do shit. Like, like you know, it was just interesting to see because I live in New Jersey, which, you know, which took a lot of the, the COVID burden let's use that word i suppose in march and april and you know my uncle my mother's brother was sick as well like really heavy he's thank god he's fine now and you're just kind of experiencing this and just like all these hormones and you know my husband you know god bless him he's just trying to like protect everyone like that that came out out of him too so it was just it was just a lot going on what a catch by by the way I know. And uh, I feel like for the rest of my daughter's life, every time she goes somewhere and they're like, when's your birth? And she's like, May 20, May 2020. They'll be like, oh, you're a COVID baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, I calculated to, by the way, any child born after January 1st was conceived during a pandemic. Anyone born bef- oh. in this year was conceived before you found out that you were, that there was a pandemic. And we do have a COVID baby boom coming, I think. I really do no. think that. I, it's you only going so? to be it's only going to be for children born in January and February. And it's only going to be people who want who want a first child. I highly doubt there are second and third kids being born. I'm gonna tell you this this my daughter is my second child and I can barely function right now. I'm like perpetually exhausted <laughs> physically, emotionally, mentally, intellectually, even spiritually at this point. Like it's all it's all there. <laughs> Listen, I, I love children. I think they're amazing. I love to watch other I'm people's kids. <laughs> I never want children of my own, ever, ever, ever. All right, let's let's talk about dating. Um, so we got several questions. All right, here we go. Hi, Maria. I'm Diana, and I'm from Connecticut, and I'm 25 years old. How much stock do you put into online chemistry? Or, you know, we're all using the apps these days, and so... Um, a lot of our first impressions are off of texting or messaging. Um, and often when it doesn't click or match um, on messaging, there's often not a first date. How do you recommend getting past that? Should we go on a date even if you're not really feeling the whole messaging thing? What's your advice? Thanks. I love that this question came while you're a guest. And I'll tell you why. Because you have such a way with the written word. You're very witty online that I'm not, I'm not trying to like gas you up here. Like this is obviously true because anything you write goes viral. <laughs> People feel a certain connection to you and not everyone has the, that talent in pun or just in general, just writing. So now for Diana, I understand her frustration. How about you? How do you feel like, do you need like that online connection before you go onto a FaceTime call or an in-person call? So I'm so glad you asked this because I have, I have thought about this subject so much and it's really made me look at my personal biases because you're right. I'm a writer. I love the written word. I, I, I'm especially attracted to good writing. Like if someone writes really well, I'm theirs. Like, uh, you know, that's an automatic date for me, in my humble opinion. At the same time, I have met people who weren't amazing dates that wrote really well. And this is critical. I've gone on dates that were really great with people who were maybe not the best writers, had some grammar and punctuation struggles, uh, maybe you know, weren't stylistically as as clean or compelling as I, I would usually like. And, you know, I mean, not to be snobby, because I, what can I say? I'm a girl who likes good punctuation and grammar, and that's just me. But it's really made me 
look at that and give people a chance, even if I'm not immediately attracted to their writing. And I will also say that I'm sure that people have given me a chance, even though they didn't like aspects of my personality or maybe things on my profile. And so as long as the person is respectful, as long as, you know, there's something there that makes you want to date them, ignore the written word part. Just give them a chance. And if you find out it's not your thing or they're not your person, then then fine. I, I 100% agree. Because don't forget, you know, like my husband's, my husband was raised in Greece and he's a little dyslexic too. So whenever he writes in English, he, sometimes it's more grammatical mistakes. Sometimes it's like not purposeful typos. I don't know if that's a thing, but like those will be a mistake. And it's like, well, this is his second language. And He's also a little dyslexic. Like, you know, give some people the benefit of the doubt here. And also, you know, I just think it's like funny whenever I think about people, it's exactly what you said. Like sometimes I have, I know this one person, I'm not going to say his name, but I think he knows who he is because I know he listens to this, but he's such a great writer. Like he's so freaking witty online. And when you meet him in person, just complete social awkwardness. Like I could not compel myself to like, I'm just not attracted to him. Like not because of his social awkwardness, just... It's not whatever I've built up in my head online is just not there for me when I, when, you know, when I've met him Uh, and I'm obviously very happy for him. He got married, blah, blah, blah. But you know, you you can see that sometimes someone who is very good at writing that doesn't necessarily translate to like a really good date. And of course, some people like this kind of also goes to like another question I constantly get, like, you know, he doesn't text a lot. And I'm like, some people are really busy. Like, it's okay if he doesn't text a lot. Are you guys going on dates? You know? And I'll tell you what, like the the date I was most excited for, which turned out to be not a good date at all, was going out with someone who was ex- who was really really good at writing, who is kind of like a minor, and they won't know who I'm talking about, trust me, but uh, kind of a minor celebrity in DC political circles, and mm-hmm. you know had been on like a thirty under thirty list. I mean, you know, was known so to speak, and it was just not a good date at all. This person couldn't carry a conversation very well. I, I felt like I was doing most of the labor and and pushing things along. And that's exhausting. Right. And yet the best dates, I, in fact, I will say this resolutely. I dated this, young, uh, this woman who I'm still friends with summer 2017. And she knows this. She wasn't, you know, she didn't have like the most compelling text or compelling text conversation. Wonderful dates, great conversation, so much fun, very intelligent, taught me a lot about science, which was great. I mean, just really wonderful. And so Give folks a chance. Don't don't judge a person based on their text. And also, if you're online dating, you know, think about how people, especially um, men, when they're online dating, they are just so they saw the hot girl on the sign up screen, and they're just trying to get through the prompts to just talk to the hot girl. <laughs> you know, that's just an advertisement. They probably just haven't put in enough, you know, information that you need. Sometimes, like unless he's being so self-deprecating that. It's just not going to work. I think you should always give it a chance. There's a distinction between having like maybe not the cleanest presentation with the written word, but clearly putting in the effort into your dating profile. Don't date anyone who doesn't put effort into their dating profile because that person is not worth your time. If they're not going to take the time to put their best foot forward and at least, you know, give you, give you something to look at and and consider, don't, don't go for it. That's my final word. Hi, matchmaker Maria. It's Jennifer and I'm from Los Angeles, California. I'm 31 years old. I am a teacher and I make $66,000 a year. Is it wrong of me to want to date a man who makes as much money or more money than me? How can I ask him how much he makes without coming off as shallow? Tough question. That is a tough question. It's not that tough. She's only making 56000 <laughs> 
I was being diplomatic. (laughs) (laughs) So here's where numbers matter. If she was telling me I make over 250 or I make over $500,000 or I make over a million. and And I get that question a lot in New York. And I want to date someone who makes at least as much as I do or more. I'm always thinking like a lot of really great guys might be making $80,000 a year as like public school teachers or something. Or yes, in New Jersey, they pay their teachers well. Or, uh, <laughs> or you know, a professor or a writer. Like there's, there's, there's definitely other professions where it's going to be less than that 100,000 mark. And they could still be an equal partner. So if you are someone who is, is a, especially women, where we've been kind of socially taught to think that we're supposed to be, make less than men for whatever reason, we're not going to go into that right now. I feel like it's okay if you make more than the man. Think of the man's paycheck as a bonus. <laughs> right. And, you know, what I'll also say is that income does matter. And it's silly to pretend that it doesn't matter. Like it just is. Right. Uh, it, it is a factor. It's not like my top five factors, but it is something that should be considered. But here's what I will say. If someone has, you know, maybe a modest income, that's totally fine with me, but I want to know what they're doing with their life. I do. I want to know, like, if they're a school teacher, I think it's amazing. If they are, you know, a Peace Corps volunteer, or if they're just like, you know, getting done with a certain chapter of their lives, maybe they're military, you know, some kind of public service job that doesn't pay that well. Now, if their thing is, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be snobby here, but like if they clearly lack ambition, if they're not in the kind of job that is helping their community, if they're not giving back to the world in some way, I have questions to ask. Mm-hmm. I just do. And I think income, you know, is sometimes a, a fairly good reflection and indicator of what it means for someone's worldview and what they want out of their life. It's also important to think about how like how the person that you might be looking for, how they might view income. A lot of heterosexual men, they don't judge women on this. Like they don't, they don't, most men don't remember what school you went to or how much you make or, you know, even maybe your own entire job title. They remember how you made them feel on a first date. And I think when it comes to income, you're absolutely right. Income does matter. But for me, it's also like lifestyle matters more. And of course, income goes into that. Now, if I were to tell you a mathematical formula to figure out what your lifestyle is, it's lifestyle equals how you value your time, how you spend your time plus how you spend your money. For Jennifer, who's making $56,000 a year, I don't think it's going to be that hard to find someone who makes, if not the same or more than you. But what I would concentrate on is how does he spend his weekends? If he's the kind of person who likes to sit on the couch and just Netflix binge all day and not during a pandemic, I'm sure we're all guilty of this right now, but that's just what he considers fun. And you're the type of person who likes to go hiking. There could be an opportunity for resentfulness. And I'm not saying a person can't change. Um, I mean, I'll tell you right now, my husband, he's from a Greek island. So he had never understood the concept of vacation. Mm. You know, when he had off, he would just go back to his parents and there's a beach there. And, (laughs) and you know, that's what he did. So when we were dating, I was like, we need to go on a vacation. And he's like, I don't, I don't do vacations. And I go, baby, I like to travel. We need to go on a vacation. You know what our first vacation was? You know what? It took me like forever to convince them. It took them three months and and also friendly intervention. We went to Graceland for three days in Memphis. It was amazing. I loved it. I loved it. And then he loved it too. It was a three day weekend. He loved it. And then after that, and then we started doing like he, he had to learn to it. So if you're the kind of person who has a lifestyle, that's not maybe in line with the person that you really like, because maybe it's the same values as you or whatever. Give an opportunity to show what you like. And I want to head this off really quickly because maybe maybe a hetero man 
is listening to this who makes like 30k a year does spend does spend his weekends watching netflix doesn't have a lot of ambition to do much more else hey live your life i'm all for it you do your thing i support it i'm not shaming you for that what i will say is that if you're looking to date hetero women or women who are interested in men in general you know, make sure you understand that they might have different goals than you do. They might want three or four kids. They might want like an actual house with a front yard and a backyard, you know, and they want a partner who is clearly invested in that future. And if you clearly don't have that eye toward investment in that future, um, then they're not going to want to date you. And that's not a reflection on you. And you shouldn't take it personally. It's just misaligned values. It's misaligned. It's misaligned values. Jennifer also asked how to find out. Um, it's like I said, find out about their lifestyle. How do they spend their weekends? It's very, I, you know, it's funny. In my office, I work with a lot of, I've worked with a lot of millionaires and billionaires. I don't have to ask. Sometimes I know because, you know, their net worth is available online. But uh, <laughs> but sometimes, uh, you know, you're trying to, you know, you meet someone new and you're trying to figure out like, where's this person's income spectrum? I just ask them, hey, what do you like to do for fun? And if they start saying stuff like skiing you know sailing and then they start saying like oh you know i have one client who likes to going to racing competitions not nascar the formula one competitions around the world wow like that's how he travels like he has a hobby that he you know likes and that's where he'll you know he'll go to wow that's not that's not a cheap hobby no that is not a cheap hobby so that tells you a little (laughs) bit more about like what they like to do you know and uh and you can learn a lot i think that way before i go to my next audio question let me read an email we got this was actually written to both of us dear maria and charlotte big fan of both of you my worlds are colliding My name is Denise. I'm 42 years old and I've been married for just over 12 years. I have two children, ages 11 and 8, and who reside in Florida. I'll admit that I was a single issue voter in 2016 and voted for Trump. Since then, my views have changed. I don't plan to vote for Trump in 2020. However, my husband will. I find myself resenting my husband because we no longer see eye to eye on things. And now I wonder if we ever did. My friends keep telling me that politics shouldn't matter. And it's a silly reason to fight with your spouse. Emotionally, I feel mixed up. Do politics matter in dating? Do I need to get over myself? Thank you. (laughs) So I mentioned before that I did my undergrad in Europe. Um, I spent ages 18 to 23 living in Athens and I got to travel to, you know, many countries in Europe. Politics is a little different there, isn't it? Um, You know, you have the local politics, you have country politics, then you have European parliament uh, for the EU. You know, there's just certain things that are not really discussed or not politicized. So like abortion, that is available to almost every European Union citizen. There is gun control. There is uh, no capital punishment. And these things aren't really debated because it's no longer, uh, it's a moral issue. So there's like, a, it's not political. Um, and I think in Greece, when you see like, I see, I see Greece here because that's my, but I've lived, I've lived, I've lived in Germany. I've been to parts of London and stuff like that. And I've always noticed that the things... I'll say more in Greece and Germany that are politicized is how much are we going to educate our children? Because, you know, education there is free. How, how, which road is going to get built? Which highway is going to be put here? How much of this railway are we going to do? I mean, everyone has free healthcare. Everyone has access to free education. Right. So the conversations are really much like, here's the money we have because we taxed you. How are we going to spend it? And so if this person, you know, if Denise was named 
Bespina and she lived in Athens and she asked me this question, I would say, no, politics don't matter. Quite literally get over yourself right now because it's just a matter of, and I think what the issue is that is like in parts of the world, politics is, okay, we both recognize the problem and we have just different solutions to this problem. And I think here in America, I'm noticing the last five years, six years, maybe eight years that, yeah, maybe since maybe eight years, I've become more aware of it where it's like, we're not even talking about the same problem. We're not recognizing the same problem. So the solutions are irrelevant at this point. Mm. Like we both need to be on the same page and it's no longer like a political issue in 2020 as much as, and this might be, this is my personal feelings and I'm okay to die on this hill, but I think it's a political conscience issue, like a morality issue. You know, the most boring presidential election in recent memory was 1996. It was Bob Dole versus Bill Clinton. And, you know, it's notable for for how little it ultimately, how little it ultimately uh, was controversial. Because, you know, uh, Bob Dole didn't really present a threat the entire election. Social issues didn't really enter into the conversation in a in a deep meaningful hot button way mm-hmm. i mean they talked about abortion of course and and you know they probably talked about lgbtq rights i forget but it, it didn't become the flashpoint right i could easily see myself having dated a, a bob dole supporter in 1986 hands down i mean it's not even a question we don't live in those times anymore and there are tens of millions of people in this country and they're the vast majority of them are white heterosexual people who are living in 1996 America, who are completely insulated from the havoc and destruction and just deep, deep harm that Donald Trump has inflicted on vulnerable communities everywhere. I will say this, if you choose to stay in your marriage, I don't think anyone should shame you for that. I think that there are are very good reasons to stay in a marriage, particularly for children. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm also going to tell you this, you should never be shamed for looking at this person who after the last four years last four years of Donald Trump attacking vulnerable people, putting children in cages, throwing LGBTQ people under the bus, bragging about sexually assaulting women, just this horrible human being. And if you decide that your husband supporting this person is a deal breaker, I think you are entirely within your right to leave. Hands down, no questions asked. And I don't think any reasonable person would judge you for that. And the people who would judge you are not being reasonable and they clearly don't see what's going on in this country. So here's what I would refrain on. Like if they didn't have children, I'd be like, you know, whatever. But having children is so expensive, Charlotte. Divorce can be so expensive. And I'm not saying that this is not. Here's what I would say. Here's what I've learned about people who support Trump, not people who voted for Trump, because there's these are two different categories of people. I feel like the people who voted for Trump in 2016, not necessarily, not all of them are supporters of Trump. Some people were just like, I always vote for Republican. I'm going to go down, take it. It's, it's why we see some of those people now voting for Biden in this election. Right. Okay. I mean, it's okay if you disagree with me. This is just. Oh no 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 no! I think that's a reasonable point. I mean, Denise. Denise voted for Trump, and she's no longer a supporter. Here's here's what I will say. I have noticed that the people that continue to support Trump, there is this winners and losers mentality. We won. We were winners right now. Trump is president. Why can't you get over it? We're winners. And you losers can move if you want to, or you know, whatever is being said. I, I've seen these on right. people's Facebook statuses and Twitter all the time. So I'm not making something up. Like we actually, we know exactly what's being said. Oh, we see it. Yeah. Right. And I'm wondering, just like, you know, when Jones died, 
like, I wonder if, you know, this, this cult mentality, like kind of snaps people out, like if, should he lose November and should we not go into a civil war? (laughs) How much will your husband possibly change his tune? Like maybe ask him, I like the Socratic method when it comes to just like talking to people, just like ask them a ton of questions until they figure out if it makes sense what they're saying. So maybe ask your husband, like, what, what do you support about him? And, and start laying it out with facts, because if it is about like, you know, I've heard people say something like, you know, he's done so much for black people. And it's like, well, what has he done? Mm. Is he just saying this out loud to make white people feel better to vote for him? It's like, oh, he's a little racist, but you know, look, he's what he's done for black people. So you can kind of call out like, well, what has he done exactly? Like, tell me, show me statistics. Um, he's hand on the coronavirus effectively. Well, show me how, because look at what Canada did, our closest peer country. Like, could we have done that as well? Now, if he says what I think a lot of people say and they don't say it sometimes is, oh, he's been really good for my portfolio. Mm. And it's like, well, tell me more about that. Like, and, yeah. and if he has, how important is that to you should our two children <laughs> decide to have alternative lifestyles or decide to subscribe to something that um, our current president and all of the judicial branch that, you know, the, the judicial positions that he's filling in are going to affect our children in the future. I think about this right now as a person who has a son and a daughter. It's like, what does their future look like? What kind of rights will they have? What kind of climate will they live in? And, and I mean that quite literally, not in a figurative speaking. Like there's climate change is real. It's happening. We're seeing in California and across the West Coast right now. Like what kind of future are my children going to inherit? And how does, how does you know, we have two children. How is Trump going to help them? like in this way. This is, this is how I would kind of go into that conversation. And it's unfortunate because, you know, I completely agree with what you just said. You know, I started out telling Denise, like, you know, if you decide to stay in this marriage and you have good reasons, mm-hmm. I fully support that. You do you. If you think that there are reasons that are compelling to stay with your husband, go for it. Be happy. I have no problem with that. What I can't stand though, is that there are people who would adamantly who, who would agree with me there, but then adamantly opposed me as if she decided that marriage was not worth staying in. And it hinged on his support for this vile, vile man who's done horrible things over the last four years. This is not Romney. This is not McCain. This, is, this isn't even about being Republican. Honestly, it's not. It is about being an avowed white supremacist who has gone after people just for the sake of hating them. That's what it's about. I support people who stay in marriages like this, but I also think we should support them if they decide to leave and their reasoning is, is based on the fact that they support a white supremacist. So that's my, that is my conclusive answer. And I also think what you said is perfectly brilliant. I think it's, I think also Denise, um, you're not the first person to get divorced. You're not the last, you'll survive this. If you want to be happy, there's plenty of uh, men who'd love to date your woke ass. All right. Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> one last question. I will tell you right now, this is actually from one of my best, one of my best friends. So when, when Ooh. I found out you were going to come on here, I was like, Katie, guess who's going to be a guest? And she, like, oh my God. Okay. I'm freaked out. Who, by the way, I just want to give her a really quick shout out for one thing. She showed me her online dating profile. Katie wrote something like a deal breaker for me is if you don't support Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ and like, like some, some wording like that. And I said to her, I, I said to her, you know, this is really aggressive. I, I, I believe the same thing as you. And I think you should definitely date someone who totally believes that. But the wording on your online dating profile is really aggressive. There's going to be a guy who feels the same way, but the way you've written it, he might be like, oh, this is, this is not the place for this. Instead, and then I said, instead, think of a different way to show your values. And she came up with the best thing she wrote. 
please be someone who believes that our friends and family deserve the same societal rights as we do. And I was mm. like, perfect. That's it. That's how you write it. And so I just want to give Katie a shout out. Like you have like, uh, I just love the way you change your online dating profile. Okay. Hi, Charlotte and Maria. I'm Katie. I'm 35 and I live in New Jersey. What tips do you all have to share in terms of online dating and expecting someone to Google you. I have quite a few results on the first and second page of Google due to my profession. And while I don't generally Google people before a first date, I find that a lot of people do and they'll sometimes bring up professional topics in the first date and that steers the conversation. I'm pretty comfortable with redirecting the conversation, but I'm just wondering what else I can do to better protect myself. Do you recommend using Google voice numbers, which I actually do, um, or how else you suggest that people who are online dating and expecting people to Google them should think about their online presence and also manage that in a date? Kind of a complicated question, but I'd be grateful for any advice you both have. Thanks so much. Oh, wow. Great question. That's a bigger question overall, too. That's, that is something that, that really affects every facet of your, of your life, from your work to maybe your kids in school. I mean, across the board, really. <clears throat> you know, if you're not a public figure and you don't want to be a public figure, be very careful with what information you post online. If you do, you know, data forms for websites, if you, you know, sign up for something online, make sure that you're not getting information to them that you wouldn't want to... I suppose, be out there if it were if there were a data breach of some sort. That's the first like smaller thing you can do. The second thing is that I think it is perfectly reasonable for heterosexual women more than any other group to Google their prospective partner. That is a Why? that's a safety issue. That is mm-hmm. a safety issue. Uh, you know, men are not afraid of women killing them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> women are afraid of men killing them mm-hmm. or or assaulting or or doing some kind of of, of egregious violent actions of them. Uh, and so I, I firmly support uh, heterosexual women or women who date men, you know, Googling men before just to see like, you know, if there's any like hits on their record, if there's something going on with them, just so you have it in your mind. It doesn't have to be a deal breaker if they had like a misdemeanor or something, or if they have, you know, if they got arrested when they were a kid for shoplifting, that's different. But if they have, you know, some kind of shady background, I would want to know that before I walked into a date with a man specifically. I just would. That too. And I think she's also asking when guys Google her, they find out all this information she has, you know, Katie is, (laughs) she's so smart. I love her. She (laughs) has a really great career. And um, I think sometimes, I feel like some guys that she's maybe have dated, they went out with her even harder because they're like, oh, she works for this really big company. Maybe she can get me, maybe she could pass on my resume or something. Or, And I think that it's like, is this a date or is this a pre-interview? <laughs> you know? I mean, there's not, uh, I mean, there's not a lot you can do about that. That's the hand you got. As a matchmaker who did this, I started my matchmaking business when I was 23. I was dating as well. I remember I did online dating for like a couple of months when I was single and it was impossible because, you know, when I gave out my name, like it was just very easy to figure out who I was online. And people were like, you're a matchmaker. Why are you using OkCupid? <laughs> and then I just kind of went, I leaned into it. I just put on my profile, like I'm, I'm a professional matchmaker. I'm also single. The hairdresser also needs a haircut. And I, and I really leaned into it. And, and it made the experience a lot more enjoyable because, you know, if they Googled me, great. Like, you know, either they're going to like me, which means that they're going to want to go out with me or they're not going to like me, but maybe they want to use my service and they'll want to hire me instead. So I just kind of looked at it in, the, in that way. I learned eventually though that online dating was not 
good for me personally. I'm very tall. I'm 5'11". I have a weird career (laughs) and that just makes me not as marketable online. I learned to just go on in-person dates. So I would go to any social event, you know, legal lecture, (laughs) you know, a tech event, South by Southwest. Like I would do different things to just meet new people because I knew I could market myself in person. And that person might become spent with me without, before Googling me. So then it's like, oh, that's so cool. You're a matchmaker. That's incredible. Instead of like, oh God, she's going to probably use me for some Carrie Bradshaw blog post, which I've never done. (laughs) But, you know, people have their own ideas of what the dating industry is. I'll tell you this, like, you know, when, when a date Googles me, I'm, well, I'm sure my dates Google me. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind. And, you know, when they do, I just have to accept that there's a chance that it could be a networking thing. That's just how the world works, especially in DC. You know, the name of the game is networking. I, I kind of hate it a lot, but Mm -hmm. that's how it goes. So if you, if you are like Katie, if you do have a career that's very rewarding, um, that maybe you're a public figure in some way, if you're known in your industry, you know, just know that a, a not a, I wouldn't even call it a downside, but maybe an unintended consequence is that there are going to be people who want to know you better based more on your career than perhaps their attraction to you. And that can be frustrating, but just accept it as, you know, maybe an unintended consequence of being such a professional badass. Uh, that's not easy, but just be at peace with the success you have, I would suppose. And maybe um, that doesn't make it easier to date, but at least you have your success. So I, I know that's not, I know that's not the greatest answer in the world, but there's not really much you can do about a Google search. You can't remove Google results. You can't, you know, ask Google or you can't like pay Google to erase you from their website. Right. It's just there. And people are going to Google you regardless. And so put your best foot forward, show this person why you're such a goddamn catch just by being yourself. Because I got to say, if you're really good at a career that's rewarding and ethical, I have a damn good feeling that you're the kind of person that people are going to want to date anyway. Totally, totally. Especially if you, um, I've always noticed that people always ask for someone who's passionate about something. And if you're mm. passionate about your career or if you're passionate about the people around you, that's that, that just, oh, that's so sexy. That's very attractive. Um, Katie, you are so sexy and you know it. Uh, Charlotte, Katie, this you're was so incredible. sexy. you are incredible um charlotte i'm so happy that we got to have you on ask a matchmaker how can people find you so i am at twitter at cm climber i'm also on instagram at cm climber and if you want to reach out to me for whatever reason, uh, you can email me at cmclimber at gmail.com. Well, Charlotte, you are incredible. Thank you so much for coming. Maria, the viewers can't see this, but your makeup today is on point. Your hair is on point. You look amazing right now. And this was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for Thank inviting you. me. Thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. If you love what you heard and you have not already, rate, review, and of course, subscribe. Have a dating and relationship question? Visit askamatchmaker.com to submit your 60-second audio question. You can also follow me on Instagram at matchmakermaria for more dating and relationship tips. And for those of you sending me dating and relationship DMs, warning, I do screenshot when I answer them. You know this, you know the drill. Until then, be (laughs) lovable and more importantly, be likable. See you next week. Wash your hands. And wash your hands and wear a goddamn mask. Don't be racist.
and vote. Like, and if you're not registered to vote, go register to vote. What, what, what's I the deal? I will vote.com. I will vote.com. I will vote.com. Thank you, Charlotte. I will vote.com. If you read, if you listen to this podcast and you register to vote, I want you to send me a DM and tell me, Maria, I registered to vote and I will post that screenshot in my stories. And you're awesome. And oh, I will and for those tweet who- it. Thank you, Charlotte. And for those who are still listening, by the way, I've got Instagram stickers. So if you go search a gift and put, uh, search in the gifts and put matchmaker Maria, you will see stickers like, let me check my crystal ball. Because when you send me those crystal ball questions, those are the answers you're going to get now. Anyway, everyone, thanks for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. Like I said, be lovable and more importantly, be likable and have a great day. <laughs>